Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Many of you were with us last night for a wonderful kickoff event to our For the Nations Week. As All week long, we're going to be hearing from a number of our uh, missionary partners. Last night, we kicked off this week by hearing an update from what God is doing at Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. And we were very blessed last night to have heard from the founder and the president of that seminary, Dr. Ahmad Shahada. Uh, This morning, we have also the privilege of getting to hear from Dr. Shahada again as he comes now to guide and direct us into God's Word, specifically looking at the latter parts of Colossians chapter 1. So with that introduction, Dr. Shahada, would you join me here on stage and would you join me in welcoming him? Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right. Great. Thank you. So honored, so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, so honored by the relationship that the seminary has with, with this church. So thankful to Pastor Mark for graciously inviting me to be here. Thankful for the leadership of this church. We really, honestly, draw so much strength from this church in representing you there so far away. So we're very thankful. And... In a way, what we're talk, what has been shared yesterday or this weekend and next week, is that we um, we are facing a difficult world, aren't we? Just a difficult world in all kinds of ways. You know, we're it's a challenge. Um, a world that is uh, a big part of the world is hostile to Christ and the gospel, and it's so hard to communicate. It's so hard to uh, we, at times for people to see the truth. We rejoice with those who come to see the truth, and it's such a marvelous experience, but there's so much that is evil around us, and so it, it can be discouraging. So we're talk, what we're talking about is today is what really keeps us going in the face of a challenge like this. Add to that challenge is our own personal trials, you know, in our walk of faith with the Lord, you know, the, the experiences of life, loss of a loved one, illness, financial trouble, and life can get really difficult. And what is it that keeps us going? Why should we keep on moving forward? No matter what, what keeps us really going? Even at times when we really feel weak and lonely and unable and um, with lots of questions, what is it that keeps us going? And... uh, I'm going to share from a passage in a, in a New Testament. Uh, it's found in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. And I will be reading this, this passage from the New American Standard Version. Colossians 1, 24. Now... I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, 
so that I might, might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, And teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This is the word of God. Isn't that amazing? That's got to be inspired. <laughs> um, This, this passage comes in that first part of the book of, Rebel, uh, book of Colossians that speaks about the uniqueness of, of Christ. And in, this, in, this, uh, in the context of this passage, Paul previously thanks God for the Colossians' faith and their love. He then shares his prayers, much like your pastor Mark would do for you. Shares his prayers that they would his prayers that they would be filled with the knowledge of, of God uh, to, uh, to, uh, to know his will to walk accordingly to be fruitful on the basis of what God had done in redemption through Christ Jesus to be fruitful and he reminds them of who Christ is that unique person Christ who is he says he's the image of God He's the agent and sustainer of all of creation. He's the head of the church. He's the first to rise from the dead, this Christ. He's indwelt with all fullness. There's nothing lacking in him, that unique one. And he's achieved reconciliation between God and humanity. And he's seeking all of humanity, all men and women, to come to know him and experience this, uh, all that he's trying to do. Obviously, when Paul does this, uh, and, and he comes to this passage, obviously he's really concerned for believers' steadfastness. You know, staying on course, no matter what. That they would be strong um, in the face of sin, trials, death, persecution. That they would be strong. This is what this is about. And all of us can identify with those uh, moments of difficulty. You know, pain, loneliness, you know, just hurting and needing the encouragement. What would it take to keep us focused? And that's what, what Paul's burden is, is to encourage us. He writes to that church and inspired. This is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, inerrant, live today, speaks to us today in the same way as it spoke to the Colossians. And there are um, three guiding principles here that... that comes out from this, uh, this passage to help us stay on course. Uh, the first one is, you know what? We've, in, this, in this calling of God to serve him, to proclaim him, he's really, first of all, calling us to share in his pain. We, he's actually calling us to share in his pain. Notice the wording here. He says, Um, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake 
He's talking about filling up which is that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. The afflictions of Christ. He's speaking, or here are the afflictions of Christ, and he says they're lacking. He says, I'm called to, sh- to complete what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So he's called to share in the, in the afflictions, in this particular suffering that Christ is, is undergoing. He's calling Paul and all of us to share in this, in this affliction. Now, what is this affliction? Of course, this is not referring to his suffering on the cross. He died once and for all. His suffering has dealt with sin completely on the cross. It's not that that suffering is complete. It's not lacking. That suffering, the atonement, is complete. But there's a different kind of suffering, and it, it comes out more clearly maybe in the ESV translation that reads like this In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So there's a sense in which Christ today is suffering for his body, the church. Isn't that amazing? That's the affliction of Christ, and it's lacking, and he's calling us to complete that lack, to share with him in that suffering. So when we are faced with this with this great challenge of, of sharing the gospel and to the whole world, and we see and it, it hurts. There's so much challenge. There's so much. It, 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 just, it just faces us, confronts us, and at times it's really difficult. We can know for sure that Christ has been there before us. He is hurting before us. He's been there. He's there hurting, and he's calling us to join him in this hurt, in this, in this pain. Um, we see uh, for, uh, expressions of this, um, for example, uh, uh, when, uh, when Saul of Tarsus, before he became the famous Apostle Paul, before his conversion, he was persecuting uh, believers and on his way to Damascus uh, to uh, gather a number of them and and uh, put him in prison, the Lord appeared to him and said to him this. He says, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted? He did not say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? So he saw, Christ saw that the persecution of the church is the persecution of him before the persecution of the church. Uh, other, other scriptures bear this out similarly. For example, in Hebrews 11.24, it says, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Another, Hebrews 13.14, let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Again, it's calling to join him in whatever he's going through for the sake of his body, the church. Atonement is complete, but it's hurting so that the, the, the benefits of the atonement is fully ex- lived out in the church and expressed to the world. That's his, his concern. Um, now, and in the context of, of the book of Colossians, Paul talks about this, this suffering that he's sharing with Christ. He talks about this, the struggle, the continual struggle he has. When you think about that, think about your walk with the Lord. It's so similar. That's what we go through, struggling. 
We struggle. We strive. Uh, he's concerned that the hearts of believers are knit together. Nothing hurts more than to see the, the body of Christ, you know, uh, disunited. And Paul is, is hurting so that the, the body of believers are knit together in real love and unity. That's the prayer of Christ in a high priestly prayer, that they may be one, that they may be one. And it hurts when the church is not one. So Christ, uh, Paul talks about this. And we, we identify with him. We don't we want to see his body united. And this is all in the book of Colossians. He talks about having, hurting to have the assurance of understanding. He wants all, his, all, all the Colossians to have, the, all believers to have this assurance of understanding. To be firm in our doctrine and our belief. Not to be wavering. You know, he, he talks about... Um, Doing that in the face of so much deception around us. From human limited thinking and philosophy. From evil powers around us. And Paul talks a lot about these evil powers uh, around us. Um, to be freed from legalism that can you know, take hold of us and you know, paralyze a church. Paralyze belie- believers. Um, and to be freed from all forms of sin and lust and, and broken relationships. He talks about his care for the family, health, and marriages. You know, he's talking about all this. And uh, he wants believers to be united together, holding and upholding one another. And Paul is talking about all, all this suffering. He's just caring for the church. And he says, what I'm doing is really what Christ is doing. I'm just joining him for his body, the church. Um, and it's, there's, there's a lot more on this. One, one sobering uh, expression of it, uh, of Christ's suffering, is his letter, his letters rather, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He writes to seven churches. He chooses seven out of many others. And he addresses Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia and so on. But then at the end of each letter, it goes like this. He who has an ear to hear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. What this means is that Christ's words to each church is the, are the words of the Holy Spirit to all churches of all places and all time. And to look at these seven letters, five of the seven he is not pleased with. I have something against you, Christ repeats that, that sentence. And he repeats things like uh, the church is having uh, knowledge with no love, mixing what is holy with what is unholy. He talks about compromising with sin and compromising with truth. Imagine that. He talks about the churches, uh, particular church, dead Though seemingly alive, looking on the, on the outward good, but really dead. How? He talks about the, the lack. Some churches have lack of awareness of their spiritual need and just moving along and moving along. And, you know, Christ is, is talking to churches like this. That's five of seven. That's 70%. Wow. And then the, the, these, when you look at these letters to the churches... It speaks of Christ seeking continually the churches. He's, he's walking amongst the candlesticks. He's walking, always walking. He's within. He's right here. The Lord is right here. We don't see him. If we had 
glorified eyes, we would see him. If we had glorified ears, we would hear him. If we had glorified hands, we would touch his, his robes. But he's here. So he's walking amongst the churches and he's seeking them continually, giving second chances and third chances and on, onward. He's always after the church. He's uh, pleading, pursuing. He's pictured at times as outside the church, knocking on a door, wanting to come in. And at times he's outside the church, asking believers inside the church to come out to him. You know, he's, he's doing that all the time. Christ is hurting for the church. And uh, so, when we think we've got it bad, think of him. He's been there. He knows. He, he hurts. You know, he's right there. Oh, that's so comforting to know. It doesn't depend on me. You know, it depends on him. So when, we, when uh, the, the tough, you know, when the going gets tough, think. You're joining Christ. He's rare. He's hurting much more than you, than you and I. Much more. He's already been there. So, what keeps us going? We're called to share in his pain. I don't know about you, but this is really encouraging. You may ask, well, is it worth it? And thanks for asking the question. <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> Is it worth it? Of course it's worth it. And Paul goes on. Not only are we called to share in his pain, we are also uh, called to share in his plan. In his plan. His purposes. What he is doing. This is a high calling. There's no higher calling than that. Look at how he expresses it. Uh, Again, verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Watch these words. According to the stewardship. When he says according to, that's a plan. Stewardship. He's entrusting to Paul something that he's uh, uh, communicating, delivering to the church of Colossians. And from them to others, and others to others, and then comes down to us. This is coming from God himself. It's his plan. There's a a divine plan here. Again, there's no higher call, no higher profession. No matter what your profession is, what your training is, this is it. This is really the high profession here. He's calling us to share in his his plan. You know, um, actually sometimes our wording... Um, as it has things backwards. You know, as believers, we say, oh, my plan, my plan is to do one, two, three, four, and I'm asking God to bless my plan. Actually, it's completely the other way around. It's God who has the plan. He's moving forward, and then he calls us to join in his plan. Let's not put the cart before the horse. It's his plan. That's his, it's his doing. It's, it's him at work. And then it continues. Now, his plan, what is the content of this plan? And it's, it goes on in verse 25, that I might, literally, that I might fulfill the word of God. Where is the plan of God? We don't find it anywhere else outside the scriptures. It's the word of God. It's his word. That's the plan. 
And, you know, so often, it's so easy to go off track, isn't it? Every time in history, the church went astray. It began with leaving the scriptures into man's thinking and so on's leading and uh, battle of human logic, which can be good, but then off the scriptures. No going back to, thus saith the Lord, <laughs> you know. It's, it's that. It's so easy to slip away from that. He says, I'm called to share in his plan. His plan is the scriptures. I have a, a quote from, uh, from a friend of mine who's an adjunct professor at Jets, Stephen Lewis. He says this, quote, No one should discount the role of history in helping us understand how the earliest interpreters understood the scriptures. Yet believers today must renew their commitment to the scripture itself. The real issue must not be whether a doctrine is affirmed by every Christian everywhere, nor whether it is officially orthodox according to the historical creeds, nor whether it is unofficially orthodox according to the fashions of contemporary Christian thought. The only real issue is whether a doctrine or belief is biblical. There is no more sound approach to the formation of our beliefs. It is time we rescued Christian theology from the theologians and put it back in the hands of biblical exegetes and biblical theologians. Unquote. Boy, powerful words. <laughs> scripture. We're called to share in his plan as revealed in the scriptures. The inspired word of God. It's inspired and therefore inerrant. And therefore has the highest authority on all life and ministry. God's word. And we see this in our part of the world. So many just go off track, off, off track, off this. And, you know, so often we come to surely difficult passages and we, we quickly leave them. And we lose out so much. Some, so many scripture passages are easy to read. You can just, wonderful stories and teaching, very clear. But others, other, other portions are tough. Stay there. <laughs> By being... By staying there, you discover the jewels, and it just changes your heart. It burns in you by staying there because you believe it's true. It's God's word. Stay there, and then you'll begin to, you know, it's a test always. Do we believe it is the word of God? Um, but then he goes on to explain this plan. It's a plan centered in, in the scriptures, but in the scriptures itself, there's a, there's a jewel. <laughs> there's something so valuable that unites all of scripture together. And he uses the word mystery. Actually, in the original, it's mysterion, from which the English word mystery comes. He says, that is, it's completing the word of, fulfilling the word of God. That is, focus, more focus, the mystery. The mystery which has been hidden. Now watch this. This jewel he's going to express or reveal to us has been hidden. It's there, but it has been hidden. From the past ages and generations, but, next, next level, but now has been manifested to his saints, all of us. It's been hidden, hidden, now manifested to us, then a third level, to whom God willed, he desired, he loves to give us this mystery, to show us, reveal to us, this mystery, make to know the riches of the glory of this mystery. So there's this jewel inside the word of God. Um, and uh, 
the mystery among the Gentiles, and the progression continues, that is, riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, here it is. The plan of God, centered on the word of God, that contains the jewel of God, the mystery, which is Christ, and Christ alone, the hope of glory. Now, when we speak of the hope of glory here, he's, he's uh, presupposing so much doctrine that they already know. What did Christ do? This is God incarnate. He comes to earth. And then the righteous one takes on our sin, dies on the cross and raises from the dead. Those that believe in him, he takes away something from those that believe in him. He takes away our sin. He takes something from us, our sin. Covers them. They're gone. But then he bestows on it. He gives us, he takes away sin, then he gives us something else. What does he give us? His righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we may become the righteousness of God in him. There's this complete exchange here. So our sins are covered. We're given the righteousness of Christ. And not only that, then he dwells in us. So we move from forgiveness to justification. That's wearing his righteousness to regenerating, being born again in the language of the uh, of Jeremiah, of the new covenant. We're given a new spirit. That's a new nature. And then we're given his spirit to dwell in us. What glorious truth that is. So we move from forgiveness to justification to regeneration and then to glorification. We're, when in glory, we will be there with, in the heavenly Jerusalem. No sin. No evil, no possibility of evil, no death, no, no parting anymore, no more pain. It all ends, and it's glorious worship and wonder and joy and celebration forever and ever. Glory. And that word, uh, glory, speaks of, first of all, beauty, ultimate beauty. <laughs> when you hear of the word glory, there's that, that use of scripture, of that word, it talks about ultimate beauty. We'll get there. We see glimpses of it now. We are, we're part of it now. It's in our hearts. The, the eternality of that glory is already here inside of us. It's not, it's not revealed completely yet, but it's here. Christ in you. Ed, Christ in you. The hope of glory. We've got it in us right now. We've got part of eternity in us. There's that inner beauty in us. We, know, we may not look so good on the outside. The outer decayeth. But the inner, and the inner is being renewed. We're, we're young on the inside. Those of us who have passed the, the 60 or 70, you know, we're nicer on the inside than you guys, younger ones. We're, anyway. <laughs> That's what really the main point of this message today. <laughs> As we get older, we appreciate this more and more. But it's this inner beauty. That's the word glory. But... Also, glory speaks of perfection. All the attributes of God are, perf- are, are manifested where each one of the attributes of God is perfect. There's no lack in any of the attributes of God. They're all perfect. And not only that, but no one attribute 
works by itself. It's always all the attributes working together. Isn't that amazing? And then the, uh, the glory speaks of necessity, meaning, meaning that all the universe, all of existence is based on his glory. He is the most important individual in all of the universe. And actually the word glory comes from the Hebrew kavod, which means liver. Uh, it's the heaviest uh, organ in the, in the body. It's in the central part of the body. So when you glorify him, you liver him, <laughs> literally. You're given the central part of your life he, because he is that way. Imagine when we lose electricity, what happens to our lives? Or we lose water, what happens? But he is, he's got it all. What if we lose him who is a, the, you know, the, the maker of heaven and earth? He is the one. He has to be there. He's the necessary, uncaused cause of all that is. That's him. You know, that's glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, sharing in that glorious person himself. That's the hope. Wow. And that's in us. So we're called to, uh, to share in his pain because we are called to share in his plan. That's his plan. Can you imagine anything greater than that? So when we talk about this plan, we're talking about something that's beyond anybody's imagination. This is in the scriptures. So it's, we're called to share in his plan as revealed in the scriptures that has this jewel of the mystery um, that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, and when it says mystery, it means two people can look at that same Christ. One understands it and sees his beauty and glory. He sees his perfection and the other person doesn't see it at all. Do you see it? Paul is saying, well, if you see it, they'll give you such strength to keep going against great odds. We're called to this, you know. So we're called to share in his pain because we're called to share in his, in his plan. Then you, you say, well, um, well, um, I, I'm, I'm not smart enough to know all this stuff. This is really heavy, <laughs> and it's uh, beyond me. I, I, I can't fathom all of this. I, I, it's just too much for me to, to live like that. I just, I cannot put it all together. <laughs> and surely we feel that way at times, but, you know, he says something else here for us that's also comforting in that regard. He says, we're called to share in his plan, but because we're called to share in his very power. It doesn't depend on us. It's his power in us, working in us and through us. In us and through us. That's his power. Notice how he, how he bears this out in uh, verse 28. He says, we proclaim him. Now notice the word every. Word every. Admonishing every man, every person. And teaching every person with every wisdom. So that we may present every person complete in Christ. The gospel has such power to take any person and every person that believes from wherever they are. Whatever their background, whatever their educational level, whatever their, their uh, social status, any person, male or female, any country, any color, 
to bring them to full maturity in Christ that ends up in glory. That's the power of the gospel. So when we're sharing the gospel, he is there before us. We may reach the mind, but he reaches the heart to change completely any person we talk to. That's him at work. So we find him there as we seek to proclaim, as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. We find him there hurting before us. We find that he's working already there in his plan. We find that his power is right there too. And he says, notice, uh, admonishing every person, that is correcting error, cleaning up, and then teaching, presenting the truth. Every person. But then he continues on to say this, for this purpose, I also labor. I work hard. In other words, he's not passive. He's not lazy. He's serving with all of his strength. But then he's not anxious either because he knows that Christ is working in his power. He says, I also labor striving according to his power that mightily works within me. Wow. It's true. It's his power right there. So his pain is there before us. His plan is there before us. And his power is there before us. He's calling us to share in them all. And... uh, We may uh, translate it this way. His power is inflamed within me with supernatural strength. I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging. (laughs) It's not something. He's calling us to all of that. Um, So staying on course against great odds stems from realizing that we're called to share in his pain and his very power, his, pay, his plan and his very power, all of that. We live from there and we serve from there. His pain, his plan, his power, we always stay there, never leave. It's right there. Um, Hudson Taylor once said this. He said, every great work for God is, at first, impossible. But then if we, if we stay on course, the impossible becomes difficult. But if we stay on course, difficult becomes done. We move from impossible to difficult to done. But it takes steadfastness. How are we steadfast? How could we do it? We're called to this great calling of this one unique Christ who is there before us in his, in his pain for his church and his plan to work in and through us and his power available to, make, to, to accomplish greater things that we've, than we've, we've ever dreamed in our lives. To him, to him alone, be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As Paul said, what do we say to this? What do we pray to this? What do we sing to this? It's just so amazing, that calling you have given us. Pray that in those difficult times, that you would meet us there, reminding us of these truths and elevating us to a rock much higher than ourselves. I pray that you'd bless this church and use it your glory.
in greater ways in the years to come. Bless its leadership and its people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>